Have you ever found yourself wanting to get something so perfect that you almost give up on it completely? You get so caught up in the little details that it stalls your work for the end goal. This happened in making one of the most famous horror movies of all time. I'll tell you what happened coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Welcome, welcome indeed. Here on this Tuesday in January, I'm Josh Raymond, of course. So at the end of the 1970s, Stephen King, he was establishing himself as an extremely successful author, mainly known for writing horror novels. He had already published a few best-selling books, things like Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Stand. And it was at this point that it was announced that his novel, The Shining, was going to be adapted to the big screen by one of the most renowned directors of the time, Stanley Kubrick. And this was 1979, and Stanley Kubrick, at this point in his career, had directed a number of hugely popular and influential films. Spartacus, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, these are just to name a few of them. So with the combination of a story from Stephen King and a director like Kubrick, the expectations for the movie were extremely high. Now, most actors in Hollywood, in New York, they were aware that Stanley Kubrick had a certain reputation for doing multiple takes on most shots in a film that he was creating. And not just multiple as in maybe five or six or seven, more like 20 to 30 takes for numbers of different scenes and movies. But 20 or 30, that was just a drop in the bucket for what happened when they were filming The Shining. So Shelley Duvall, she was the actress in the role of Wendy Torrance. And she found the production grueling, but the worst part was when she was in this scene and it's on a large staircase. She was acting opposite Jack Nicholson. And her, her character is supposed to be, of course, scared. You know, it's, it's a scary movie. She's supposed to be scared in this confrontation. And she's walking backwards up that large staircase in an empty hotel. And she has this baseball bat there that she's supposed to fend off Jack Nicholson's character. Kubrick made her do this scene over and over, reportedly 127 times. 127 takes on this. And this led to an anxiety attack for Shelley Duvall. They had to halt production on the film. There was worries about her. She later explained the impact of the movie, both on her acting as well as her health. The acting, the moments in movie in the movie where you see Shelley, where she's crying in pain or fear or she looks like she's exhausted, that's not merely acting. You're watching an actor delivering lines while enduring a trauma response. Things got so bad for her. Like I say, there was that anxiety attack. They actually had to have her lay down on the set. She was comforted with pillows. Her Things got so bad, her hair started falling out. So Kubrick, he, he was able to finish his movie, but he would often be called this perfectionist in his work as a director. He himself rejected that label of being a perfectionist. In an interview, he said, and this is the quote, perfectionism is a convenient journalistic slant used to get at me. If you don't, if you try to do something, you try to do it as well as possible. I don't waste money and I don't waste time, but I try to get it right. In Kubrick, he would talk about doing so many of these takes over and over and over with actors, not because he knew exactly what he wanted them to say or how he wanted them to behave in their acting. He said it's because he knew what he didn't want from them. He was rejecting the things that he knew didn't belong in the film until he finally got to a point where 
Yeah, that that looks right. So he rejected that, <laughs> that title of being a perfectionist. I don't know. It definitely sounds like he was a bit of a perfectionist, a bit obsessed with getting the absolute perfect take, regardless of how long it took or what the impact was on him or other people he's working with. Now, getting the details right, that is good. And in many different areas of life, it's important. It's even crucial. You have to get the details right. But when we get obsessed with little details and that obsession, it stalls or it derails our work for the overall final product, well, that becomes problematic. And of course, this also applies to our spiritual life. If we get so hung up on certain little things in our faith life, we can find ourselves getting distracted from the bigger picture. This can be especially destructive when we obsess over our sins. If you start to fixate on every little thing, if you're worried that the smallest fault or failing is equal to the biggest sin, then you can get so caught up in the worry, so caught up in the stress that this brings, that you cannot live the life that God has called you to live. You end up having a warped view of your sin, and then this impacts your view of God. Instead of understanding that God wants to free you from your sins, you feel trapped that you're never going to be good enough for his mercy, for his forgiveness. And we call this scrupulosity, and today we want to spend this hour of the inner life discussing how we can have an uh, an accurate understanding of sin and not fall into this area of being overly scrupulous. And I'm very glad to welcome back to the program as our spiritual director for the hour today, Father Ramil Fajardo. Father Ramil is a resident priest at Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago. He is a judge of the Metropolitan Tribunal. Additionally, he serves as the director of the liturgy and the cardinal's delegate for the St. James Chapel and the Archbishop Quigley Pastoral Center. And he's also the rector of the National Shrine of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Father Ramil, glad to have you here in the studio with me. Thank you very much, Josh. It's good to be here. Well, so scrupulosity, um, you know, first of all, you and I were talking before we went on the air, and just to put a disclaimer out there, as we're talking about this, there can be, for some people, they might be at a certain level where maybe they need professional counseling. Neither you or I are professional counselors. We're not licensed. So we're talking about scrupulosity merely from a spiritual direction standpoint. If somebody needs professional counseling, needs therapy, they should seek that out. With that understanding, can you maybe help us understand uh, to a, a deeper degree, I kind of skimmed the surface of what scrupulosity is. Can you take us a little deeper into what scrupulosity is, what the Church talks about when we look at scrupulosity? Just to resonate with your story about Stanley Kubrick, I find myself, even today, kind of in a position where when I'm writing in the office, I will write something over and over and over again, trying to get the right sense, the mm-hmm. right tense, the right grammar— and I remember as a kid in grade school and in high school, Mr. Fajardo, you speak far too conditionally. You know, it's a very passive voice. You use active voice. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's this thing that was drilled into me to change and to be more concise, more precise. So in writing judicial decisions, that's coming back to haunt me in some way because then I scruple, here's this word, over a comma. Is this, mm-hmm. is this going to sound subjective or subjunctive? Is this conditional? Is this active? Is it passive? So I struggle with getting my work done 
in an active voice sort of way. So there's a striving for perfectionism. And at the same time, like I said, accuracy is crucial. So even in your work, you want to make sure, because language is what we're talking about in in this instance, you want the language to be as exact and precise as it can be. Mm -hmm. But again, if that stalls the work that you're doing, that can lead to other problems. And the word there is paralysis. Right. Paralysis. So Father Thomas Santa, a redemptorist priest, wrote this in one of his uh, newsletters for Uh, Scrupulous Anonymous, quote, in Catholic moral teaching, scrupulosity defines the spiritual and psychological state of a person who erroneously believes he is guilty of mortal sin and is therefore seldom in a state of grace. A scrupulous person has difficulty making choices and decisions, even though he desires above all else to please God and to follow God's law. So, end quote. So in our understanding of the struggle of scrupulosity, it's that interplay between uh, wanting to be in grace and responding to God's uh, desire for holiness, our desire for holiness to be one with God, and also this struggle against this natural tendency to judge ourselves so harshly that, use, that we use standards not even God uses against us. We turn, we turn our faith against ourselves in a way. You know, when we talk about that base word, scruples, that a lot of times can be seen as a good thing. A person has scruples. They're, they're making good decisions. How, how does the good kind of start of making good decisions, executing good behaviors, right. how does that change for us from good scruples to something that is a problem in our lives with scrupulosity? In our Catholic faith, we are, we're trying to respond to God. Mm-hmm. And through the sacraments, we're given this opportunity to touch God himself in our souls. When we receive him in baptism, we're given a special insight when we, and, and cleanse from original sin. When we receive him in absolution uh, from sacramental confession, when we receive him in his most body, blood, soul, and divinity, is, uh, all these things help us to become a better follower. But scrupulosity is a corruption of that freedom because at a certain point, all of a sudden, what a scrupulous person will do is that they begin focusing on success or failure. And in the desire for holiness, we then forget that God gave us his son. Otherwise, what's the point? We need his grace all the time. And this is... and. I might add as well, it's a uniquely American thing, I think. Really? About perfection. We, uh, perfection and results. We're a results-oriented yeah, society. Right, right. You know, people, you, you promised this, you were supposed to get it to me on, at this time. And there's oftentimes very little room for mistake. Hmm. When you're talking about the, okay, I, I'm going to challenge you on the uniquely American thing because I'm going to ask you about the Israelites Old Testament-wise. St. Paul, you talk about, you know, we we get so fixated on success or failure, the results. Mm -hmm. Are the Old Testament Israelites, especially maybe the Pharisees, are they just dealing with maybe a variation on scrupulosity? They're so fixated on the law Mm -hmm. 
and that they don't break the law, that they keep the law, and pointing out to other people where they're breaking the law, you have to keep all of these, to the point that it's better that I don't turn on the lights in my in my room, mm-hmm. just in case that would be seen as me working, as putting forth effort right. on the Sabbath, or right. something to that degree. So do we see that kind of behavior that is happening there in that pharisaical kind of group? Our, my context is the United States. Yeah, sure. So when I see these things occurring, it's because I myself, being immersed in the culture, being immersed in the United States experience, find myself doing that sort of thing as well. Okay. Now, a fair question, too. Um, I'm going to take a little sidebar, as my uh, old canon law professor used to say. Years ago in grade school, uh, during breaks, uh, after lunch, the teacher would read to us a book. And I, I think a lot of us Catholic school kids remember this. You know, after lunch, okay, put your head on the desk and just listen to the teacher reading a story. Now, one year we were reading Farmer Boy by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Okay. And Almanza Wilder was relating through Laura Ingalls Wilder about how, as a kid, I believe they were strict Presbyterian, that literally following your example on Sunday, everything had to have been done, all the cooking, all the cleaning, Pressed clothes, everything had to be done by sundown Saturday, because on Sunday, Sabbath. And they were told, we will read the scriptures, and they would sit in the parlor, don't slouch both feet on the ground, don't touch the armrest, stand up straight, be perfect. And I, I, would, I wonder whether or not in our own unique American experience, some of that has crept in. You know, and it's, again, the same thing about us as a corporate people. In, in other words, speaking of, like, business sense. We expect results. Yeah. Yeah. I want to open up the phone lines here, Father. Uh, I'll follow up on that in just a moment with you. But, you know, as we're talking today with Father Emil Fajardo, maybe this is something you've struggled with in your life, this area of scrupulosity. What has helped you to be able to find freedom from being overly scrupulous? Or maybe you're in the midst of that right now. It's something where it's hard for you to feel like there's any kind of light at the end of the tunnel, that you're going to have freedom, that you're going to have the ability to let go of that kind of obsessing over your sins, and you'd like some advice, you'd like some insight from Father Ramil. You can call us at 888-914-9149. That's the phone number into the studio. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Again, that phone number, 888-914-9149. Uh, so the idea of that Sabbath, you know, there's, there's so many different things that we can look at in the way that we're taught, whether it's the Old Testament, you know, I, I mentioned the Pharisees Mm -hmm. so, so focused on the law and then Jesus will go on to say, well, you're whitewashed tombs that Mm -hmm. basically you're dead inside. Mm -hmm. And it's like their obsession with the law got them so got them so preoccupied with making sure that there was that perfection that they miss out on things that God says to them, like when he speaks to them through the prophet Ezekiel, you know, I'm going to replace your stone heart with a flesh heart, with a live heart. Mm -hmm. And even with the idea of the Sabbath, you know, Jesus corrects and says, man was not made for Sabbath, or the Sabbath wasn't, which one is it? It's... (laughs) Man was not made for the Sabbath. For the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, right. So it's not the Sabbath that dictates for us what's supposed to happen. It's that we are able to recognize we do need a time to rest, and we need that time to commune with God. Right. This is the issue of freedom. 
we enter into a covenant with God by responding. God has made the first initiative, and he, he's done all the work for us, and all we need to do is respond. So in doing so, it's out of love. So people say all the time, oh, you know, you canon lawyers, you got, the, you got these, uh, just like the Pharisees, heavy burdens that people have to follow. You know, the point is, if we love God, we're going to want to know him better. We want to study. So study is, goes without saying. We should be constantly studying, right. and I'll be careful about that. When I say that, it's like a healthy approach to the faith. Learn it. Dive deeper into something that we possibly don't know about. Be challenged. But we want to do it because we, well, we do it because we want to. We follow the rules because we want to. And God says, honor me on Sunday, on the Sabbath day. What, what day, other day could we have? It's we honor God by going to church, by doing our prayers, and being with the community. Communion is not just receiving our Lord. It's also the body together, our brothers and sisters. That's why the Holy Father, I believe, and even Cardinal Supers is like, please come back to church. We need each other present, right. that experience of communion. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to go back to what you said. It's out of love. It's relationship. Correct. You know, that, that if you're so caught up on the, um, uh, on the doing the things that you're supposed to, if it's just a checklist that right. you're going through. Exactly. Then that's not a relationship. Right. You know? It's just execution. That's right. That's right. So, and maybe we can talk about that coming up to the, you know, because St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, he talks about that balance between law mm-hmm. and sin. You know, mm-hmm. the law defines what sin is for us, mm-hmm. but that grace is the real key there. Right. And that comes back to that loving relationship. If that loving relationship isn't there, if we're so obsessed with a check mark on a list and the execution, if we're not worried about, the friendship that God wants to have with us, right. then we're missing the entire point of what Paul's trying to say to us. Exactly. So exactly. Uh, let, let's pick up on that. Let's also maybe talk about, uh, when we come back, that line between temptation and sin that can so often get blurred for somebody dealing with scrupulosity. Okay. Again, talking with Father Ramil Fajardo, he is a priest in the Archdiocese of Chicago, a judge of the Metropolitan Tribunal, and He's our spiritual director for the hour. As we do talk about scrupulosity today, if you have a question about scrupulosity, maybe it's something you deal with in your life. Maybe you've been able to find freedom from it. We'd love to hear what has worked. What are some of the ways that you've been able to overcome that in your life? Again, the phone number into the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment, this is Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com Gregory. on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, talking today with Father Ramil Fajardo, a priest in the Archdiocese of Chicago. He is a canon lawyer, judge of the Metropolitan Tribunal, today talking about scrupulosity, what it is, how it impacts us, if it's something you're struggling with, if it's something that is a difficulty in your life, 
and it seems like it really has a hold on you, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Ramil. Our phone number here into the studio, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. So, Father... Let's let's talk about for the scrupulous person. Most of the time, there will be kind of a a a taking of what we would define as temptation, and a lot of times seeing that just because I had a thought, because I'm struggling and wrestling with this, well, I must have already fallen into sin. And I think there's different places that we can see in Scripture where it's it's understandable why you might come to that place in your in your mind as you're kind of wrestling with temptations. Because Jesus talks, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, if you you know I, you've heard it said, if you uh, lust, uh, oh goodness, I don't if have it right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, if your eye causes you to sin, you know, uh, pluck, it, pluck out. it out. But he he says, you know. Um, if if you commit adultery, you know you've sinned. But I say to you, if if you l- uh, look after a woman and lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery with her. Uh, if you say to your brother, if you just say you fool, raka mm-hmm. is the the word that he uses there, you're guilty of murder. So there are these very severe consequences that Jesus talks about from just an internal thought process that internal aspect. So there can be kind of this 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 confusion of what really is temptation and where have we actually gone into the realm of sin. Can you kind of help us distinguish between the two? I'll give it a try. Okay. Um, the totality of the Scripture, the four Gospels, are important because what I always like to point out as well is when our Lord says to St. Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? as he's sinking into the, into the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the storm. You know, why did you even doubt? The gospel is replete with our Lord not only being very firm, but also calling us to a sense of perfection of love, right? Not perfection of action, although we're always striving for holiness. It is the result of us loving as perfectly as we can. And as I tell people all the time, will we ever achieve perfection? You know, probably not in this world because in the next second we're going to be committing a sin by thinking, oh, you know, I... Re- I Look at how great I exactly. am. Exactly. <laughs> oh, pride. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. I exactly. just blew it. Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. I made that mistake already. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be careful. Our Lord was very clear. Oh, you have little faith. He's calling us to a relationship. It's not just checking off behaviors. It's a perpetual struggle to perfect our love for him, which is an ongoing struggle of virtue. And it's, it takes time. It takes time, but also a realistic appreciation of our weakness versus our Lord's love for us. So one of the things, as you're saying this, I remember hearing years ago um, a priest who had said, you know, if there is that loving relationship, for most of us, we can get caught up in this, well, how far can I go in said category before I'm pushing the boundary where it does become a sin. Mm-hmm. And that's not what love would do. Love wouldn't say, what's the what's the most I can get away with or what's the least I have to put into this? Exactly. And love says, what more can I do? What more can I bring to this relationship? Uh, so with that, 
you know, even as I think it's important for us to even talk about what's the difference between venial and mortal sin, because a lot of times the little sins can get blown up in the mind of the scrupulous person, the overly scrupulous person, to where it seems like it's the worst thing that could ever have been committed, where it might not be that case at all. So as I say that, it's not that we're basically saying, okay, what can I get away with here? But it's for definition purposes, so that we at least understand what we're talking about here. But then the goal, yes, of course it's perfection, but also recognizing that God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He put all the perfection needed on himself in the second person of the Trinity. Absolutely. It, just like going to a doctor, you know, our, our listeners surely know this. When, the, when you go to your doctor, they need a baseline reading of everything. So how's your heart? How's your, uh, you know, do you have diabetes? Do you have high blood pressure? <laughs> they're, they're taking all the baseline readings. And it's from there that the appropriate health, uh, health procedures can be followed, right? So it's the same thing in the spiritual life. First and foremost, do you love God? Yes, of course I do. Do you trust him? Yes, I do. Do you trust yourself as a beloved of the Father? Well, ah, now we're getting to something there. Why? Why would you say that about yourself? You are worthy enough to, be, to, to die for. That's what our Lord did. He died for you. And also a beautiful thought. I've been using this a lot. I don't know if I've actually said it in the show before, but you know, each and every one of us is absolutely unique. There's absolutely no duplication. Words mean something. You're absolutely no one else could ever be you. Fill in the blank. Myself, yourself, no one. So unique in the eyes of God that God sustains us in every possible second and moment. And at the end of it all, all of creation, when lined up, there will be no duplicates. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how special you are. So let's begin there, friends. Do you understand how special and reserved you are in the heart and mind and in the eyes of God? Mm-hmm. Well, so then at that point, you know, understanding if there is that, <laughs> if there is that recognition, okay, I am unique, I am loved by God. If I'm still struggling with this, it, I, I guess it's really a matter of how do I take that intellectual knowledge and how do I bring that into my heart so that I can live it out, so that I can let go of that worry that my sin is keeping me from God? Um, you know, that that's going to be the thing that's the barrier. Okay, sure, God loves me. Look at how unique I am. But boy, I'm still messing up all over the place in my life. What do I do? The spiritual life is perpetual struggle, and it's always going to be one of trust. If our Lord says to St. Peter, come, walk in the water, there's that moment in, in, in every ordinary life where a person says, wow, I made a mess of things right now. There's the moment that you ask yourself, can I step out of the boat of guilt and a, a harsh self-assessment and just say and understand, does God love me? Yes, he died for me. Can you step out of the boat just like Peter? This is the struggle of the spiritual life. No one ever said the spiritual life was easy. In fact, if anything, uh, I, I like to use this expression, any of my parishioners who are listening love, you know, I, I say this all the time, you're not going to win the gold medal like Michael Phelps in the Olympics sitting on the uh, couch eating Cheetos and watching TV. You know, you got, you got to perspire a little bit. Yeah. You got to work out. The spiritual life is the same way. If you don't fall down a few times, then you're really not learning. You know, failure is not permanent. 
it's, it's not permanent at all. Failure is an opportunity to learn. And there's another moment. Do I choose to learn? This is where it's scrupulosity is a corruption of freedom. Do I choose to learn from that mistake? And do I choose to change my habit and thinking and overall approach? Can I and will I permit myself to falter, but then pick it myself up right away? Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about the difference between what we see in the Passion of Christ with Judas, who gives in to despair, mm-hmm. Peter, who goes away sad, but allows himself to come back and be reconciled. Absolutely. Let, let's talk about being reconciled to Christ, the, the sacrament of reconciliation, sacrament of confession. This can be also one of those things where for somebody dealing with scrupulosity, they walk into the confessional maybe more than is needed. Mm-hmm. I guess as a baseline there, I've heard a number of different things, you know, going to confession once a week, might be appropriate for somebody dealing with scrupulosity just as long as they're going to the same confessor and that confessor knows what they're dealing with. Most of the time, it seems like about a once a month average right. is what's recommended for most people. It's that discernment between mortal and venial sin. Okay. All right. In my experience, I'll be, it'll be 19 years of priest this May. And when I talk to some of the brother priests who have been priests for 30, 40, sometimes 50 years, you know, this is a mere drop in the bucket. For what I, from what I've experienced, but based on what I've seen and based on my own non-confession uh, conversations, when people ask about how often should I go to confession, uh, I often say, you know, you know the rules, you know the rules, but be careful of what you are going to confession for. If it's devotional, it's one thing, right? And like you said, Josh, maybe once a month. And don't go around from person to pers- uh, priest to priest, uh, parish to parish, looking for the right answer. It's not fair to our listeners if you, if you don't try to stay with the, uh, the healing program. You know, the greatest healing are the sacraments, mm-hmm. especially the Eucharist and sacramental absolution. Greatest amount of healing that could be ever received. But we also have to cooperate with that healing. So in going to confession... Sometimes I've heard, Father, I've committed a mortal sin. Mm. And I'd like to ask them, well, could you give me the Baltimore Catechism definition of mortal sin? <laughs> okay. give, me the, give me the points. And many times people can't. This is actually kind of interesting. Those that I've asked that to, they really can't. And I say, the most important thing is you hate God. If, if you committed a mortal sin, you hate God, mm. that you don't care that you hate him and that you do want to hurt his feelings. Not that he can ever be hurt, but... You know, he can cry, and our Lord on the cross cried out to the Father, right? Do you hate that much? Well, of course not. All right, then let's, learn, let's go back to the catechism. Let's start the, de- let's start the definition between venial and mortal. Well, it, can you walk us through that then? You know, with, with a lot of people, venial sins. Uh, oh, you know, I, I walked past the table and I took a cookie. And I promise I wouldn't be doing that because I'm fasting today. Okay. You know, try to do better the next time you walk past the table. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle with going online and I see things which then lead me to go down a rabbit hole. And I, I waste so much time because I, I, I go on Amazon or eBay and I start shopping. And I should have been doing work. 
Okay. All right. Well, turn off the phone, turn off the computer, walk away from it. Is that a sin? Well, that's where a good spiritual director or a good honest examination of conscience will ask, could I have done better? Always, could I have done better? And if I could have, why didn't I? Get to the heart of the matter. That's in the area of venial sin right there. If you don't struggle, you're not going to change. Right? There's a moment where you have choice, and that's why scrupulosity is a corruption of freedom, because in that moment, I chose not to. Now, this is where I have to repeat, like you said earlier, I'm not a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the sort of thing that a good therapist or a counselor, a good Catholic uh, professional, can help one integrate the sacraments and the spiritual life with the human struggle. Right? These are very real struggles. I am not in any way uh, downgrading it. But for me, I can only speak for myself, that when it comes to struggles, it is always ending up being a choice of, well, I probably should have not looked at the sweet table. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I shouldn't have just taken that cookie or that, that piece of chocolate. Well, well, when you're talking about this distinction here, a lot of what you're talking about is kind of a sin of weakness. Right. You know, it's it's not something where I set out to uh, – I, I wasn't trying to break my fast that I had resolved earlier in the day. Or even, you know, let's say that there wasn't even a fast involved. Right. Let's say that it's, well, I gave in to gluttonous behavior, right. which is one of the seven deadly sins. But I wasn't doing it maliciously. And so I think that then kind of leads into, though, when there's that weakness involved – that's where a lot of times I think people can look and say, okay, it was a sin of weakness, but it's dealing with grave matter, one of those three criteria that right. we talk about for mortal sins. And so for mortal sin, we have the – it has to be grave matter. Mm-hmm. The person committing it has to have full knowledge. Full knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then there has to be the consent, the the will to do that maliciously. Correct. Correct. So we've got the three criteria for the mortal sin. Mm-hmm. When it's weakness – then, yes, it's grave matter. Yes, I might have full knowledge of it, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily do it because, as you put just a few moments ago, I hate God. Mm-hmm. Right. But, boy, I'm weak. <laughs> you right. know, I, 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 And then it comes back to that, well, there's going to be some struggle to overcome that weakness. But at that point, I think there can be a question, okay, I've met two of the three criteria at this point, I'm still worried, did I cross into mortal sin territory? And for the scrupulous person, then that becomes something where they can obsess over it. Correct. And that's where, in the spiritual life, we talk about presence of God all the time. Invoke the presence of God. Say, first of all, focus. Presence of God. Proclaim it. Presence of God. And look at yourself again and just say, all right, I didn't mean that, Lord. I've got to be very careful with myself. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Little, I think, maxims, words from Scripture, little, I I hate to say the word, uh, tricks, to fool ourselves into trust. How about if we say tactics? Tactics, better. (laughs) Sometimes you have to have have a real strategy that's deliberate. Mm -hmm. You know, fool my, uh, uh, you know. Have a tactic (laughs) to say, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeah. I, I really shouldn't have done that. You know, a little bit about myself, too. 
I've gone back to the Friday fast. It's very deliberate. I will not eat meat. I will abstain and I will try to fast. Okay? So the old rules are abstinence from meat on Friday. But I try to fast as well. Why? Because it is to work myself up again in a strong way in the spiritual life, in the willpower. These are the sort of things that are very lacking nowadays. Just a very sensual society in the sense of smell, taste, touch, vision, all these things. It's a very sensual society. And unless we are choosing to do warfare on our own bodies, this is military tactics Mm -hmm. here, um, to have a strong desire to do better, that also includes saying, all right, I'm going to have a mortification of some sort. So you know what? I'm going to go back to the Friday abstinence. And in fact, why don't I try to fast as well? Now, it's not called for. Abstinence is still the rule. But do I have to fast? No, that's not called for. That's not called for in the law. That is Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. All right? But full fast and abstinence, is it possible? I'm going to give it a try. If I fail, am I going to hold myself to a, to a, a standard that is not called for by the law? No. I'm going to try to do better because I asked myself, what more can I give the Lord? Mm. But I will not hold it against me. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, that right there, he won't hold it against me because I'm, I'm trying. But again, does my trying have to be absolutely perfect? Right. No. no the one who has to be perfect is Christ. He already took care of absolutely. that. You know, he'll, he'll get us there. He'll get us there eventually. You know, God will hopefully work through our lives so that there is that ongoing conversion. Right. But, um, let's also, another thing that we might be able to talk about, need to take another break, but um, you talked about following our conscience, having a well-formed conscience, but knowing where... It is well-formed where it doesn't cross over into that scrupulosity area. That might be good to talk about coming up here in just a moment. Again, if you would like to call in and join the program, talking about scrupulosity here today on The Inner Life with Father Ramil Fajardo and our phone number into the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, and we talked a little bit about mortifications that we bring into our lives and how those can help us as we build that relationship with God, as we let go of certain attachments that we have in our lives. One way that you might consider doing that is to join us this Friday uh, as we are fasting for life. And what that means, well, so we are now approaching the March for Life, the National March for Life, and it's going to be the very first one that's ever happened since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And a lot of times we have, uh, we've done this for years, um, where we invite, if you're not able to participate in that march, or maybe especially now that it's moved to especially state level, different states who are then taking up that fight for life. Uh, If you're not able to participate in one of those marches, one of those rallies, well, you can fast and you can pray in solidarity with those who are on site. You can take that part 
in uh, the march actively, even from your own home, even from the office, wherever you might be uh, with those pilgrims who are out at those events, those rallies, those marches, praying and and standing up for to, to speak for the unborn. So I would encourage you to go to relevantradio.com slash fast, and you can learn more about how you might be able to offer some of your own mortifications there and pray for the protection of all human life. Again, that's relevantradio.com slash fast, and you can learn about the fast for life. Uh, Father, I wanted to read this email that came in here too, kind of picking up on some of what we were talking about. This is somebody who would like to remain anonymous, um, but he writes and says, What's the best way of judging what is a near occasion of sin slash temptation, and when does it become a mortal sin? I know fearing temptation too much results in more temptations, not less, so how does one break out of that habit of overthinking, especially when one is unsure if something is truly a source of temptation for them? And he gives an example. He says, you know, if there are camera angles, somewhat revealing clothing, uh, or a beautiful actress in general in a good movie or a show, would it be a sin to watch? The fear of sinning causes more temptations here, and it makes it difficult to tell if this is something that I really should be avoiding. I'm worried I'm overthinking it too much. I'm doing more harm than good and ruining a good movie I should be enjoying. Any advice for this listener? That word overthinking, that's a very good word. Um, as we were talking earlier, this world is uh, its a very sensual world. We're, we're human beings. We need to see, we need to feel, we need to smell, we need to touch. Those are all part of our senses. Um, it's knowing that you're walking into an environment that is so saturated with sex. You know, Everywhere you turn, potentially, you could see something very inappropriate. Now, I, I think in this, uh, a, a, a person who is doing a job of struggling against temptations would look at temptations as like flies. Just beat it. Get out. Get out of here. You know, and not to give it too much attention. I think uh, those who know me, again, I, I have a great devotion to St. Josemaria Escrivá, and in the way, he says, don't even think about these sorts of temptations. To overthink it would be like being stuck with tar. You just poison yourself even more. You just get all the more filthy. You know, just acknowledge that it's there and move on. And to keep a distance from those occasions of sin. We know that if you go on the internet, there is going to be temptation, yeah. whether it's uh, impurity, sins against impurity, or even uh, just over th- over shopping, things like that. Or even the temptation, oh, that's a nice restaurant, I better check out that menu. And then thinking about gluttonous things like, where am I going to eat next? Things like that. You know that that's there. So when Going to these events, let's presume that there are going to be things that you have to struggle with, right? So a tactic, as you said earlier, is to be forewarned. There is an, there is an outward movement that is required in the spiritual life. If we overthink, we turn in on ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a constant judging, uh, reevaluation, struggle, and then sometimes for some people, despair. Right? They, they, they said, well, there I go again. Okay, we have to somehow break that cycle. Let's acknowledge first and foremost that we are tempted, that we are weak human beings, and that we rely 100% on our Lord. And I, I remember seeing something once before that said, you know, 
God gives you a shovel, but he's not going to dig the hole. Mm. <laughs> you, know, you got to use a shovel, get, get, get working, yeah. get to work. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, one of the other things that you talked about there, too, I, I, I guess I want to go back to the sacrament of confession again. Yeah. You had talked about, you know, the, the places that we can experience the most healing are in the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and the absolution received in the sacrament of confession. When the scrupulous person walks into the confessional, there can be a lot of times where, you know, and this is, I, I am talking more theoretical here because it's not something I've struggled with in my own life. But I know from listening to other people who have really dealt with this, who have wrestled with this, they will walk out of the confessional and feel like they have not been forgiven. That either there was something that was wrong in their contrition mm-hmm. that didn't meet God's expectations or standards that should have been met there in the confessional, or maybe the priest didn't understand how serious their sin was, mm-hmm. or perhaps the priest did something that invalidated the the sacramental absolution that should have been received there. There's a lot of things where, you know, you and I were talking during the break, and you had said, the person creates this closed circle for right. themselves. They kind of cut God out and make themselves to where it doesn't matter what happens and how gracious and forgiving and merciful God is. The scrupulous person a lot of times will just say, I can't receive that. They close themselves off from the ability to receive mercy and forgiveness. Right. That's where the theory does have to be embraced and lived as a lived reality. So the person that goes to confession has to look at that screen as speaking to Christ. It is because it is Christ himself. It is not the priest. We're just poor instruments. And to to your final point about uh, possibly an invalid uh, absolution, as we used to say in canon law school, that's a naughty. (laughs) We'll, We'll leave that for separate. The father should be very careful about doing that. Every priest I know of has been very good um, as far as that. Okay. Let's talk about let's talk about the uh, uh, penitent. The penitent needs to approach it, knowing that they are speaking with Christ Himself, and that through the instrumentation of the priest, weak or good as he may be, the point is that person is speaking with Christ. So, first question: Do I step out of myself? and say, I am placing myself in Christ's hands through his minister. Second point, in the conversation, I would like to ask the penitent, have you examined your conscience? Don't just recite to me what you've done. How have you loved God, and how have you shown that love by reacting, stepping out of yourself saying, Lord, this really is terrible. I, I don't know how, can, how we can do this. But for love of you, I'm going to try. In fact, let's go back to the old Baltimore Catechism. There, were, uh, there was a chapter where they were showing, uh, via a cartoon, a little boy. He said, well, I really don't like these vegetables, but for love of you, I'm going to eat it. All right? Do you step out of yourself and say, all right, this is foreign territory for me because I don't trust this environment. But Lord, because you asked me to step out of the boat, I will do it. I will eat these vegetables. You know, if, my mom always says, you really need to have more vegetables in your diet. <laughs> That's what moms are for, right? right. Uh, for love of you, I will eat these vegetables. That's the same thing. Do I step out of myself? And finally, what I'd like to also say is two things. I want you to invite Our Lady 
into the conversation. Mm. All right? She's a good mother. And when Our Lady's present in your life, she brings with her all the angels with her because she's queen of the angels. And the angels worship before God constantly. Therefore, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are there with her. And St. Joseph is going to accompany her. And all the saints who are praising God, they're going to accompany. So guess what? In confession, when you invoke Our Lady, you have heaven. They come to you, right? They're there, right there. And finally, what I'd like to say for a particularly difficult person who's really struggling, the difficulty is palpable, I like to remind them, say this with me, Jesus, I trust in you. In addition to praying a Hail Mary, I want you to say that, and I want you to think about those four words, Jesus, I trust in you. Five words, sorry. Think about that. Don't be dramatic about it. Just think about it. Jesus, I trust in you. What does that mean? And then speak to our Lord. Lord, what does that mean? Invite our Lord into the conversation. Yeah, break invite, that closed circle. Exactly. Invite Our Lady. Invite St. Joseph. Invite the angels. you got a guardian angel. Invite them in, into the conversation. Let's say that it's not me that's dealing with this, but I have a loved one. I have, you know, I, I see my spouse really struggling, or I have a child who's a teenager or, you know, maybe in college, and they're really wrestling with the, the, the this issue of scrupulosity in their life. Of course, prayer is where we should always start. Any other suggestions, recommendations of how I might be able to help that loved one in my life? Listening. And that requires infinite patience. In other words, we mirror Christ, right? Sometimes people need to talk. And it's to also encourage conversation. It's not, don't just talk at our Lord, invite into the conversation. So mirror that and then ask appropriate questions. How, can, how might we help? And be very gentle. And sometimes you might have to be a little stronger than usual, but it's always that interplay between, you know, the interplay of being our Lord for that person. In other words, let's use our baptismal promises here and just say, hey, in imitation of our Lord, I'm going to listen. And in imitation of our Lord, come, trust me on this one. Any recommendations if somebody, uh, you know, is looking for resources on what they might be able to look a little deeper into this topic? You obviously had brought some information from the Redemptorists. Yes, Scrupulous Anonymous, uh, I'm sorry, yes, scrupulousanonymous.org from the Redemptorist uh, Fathers. Also online, uh, if you search Catholics Scrupulosity, some wonderful articles come up uh, from Catholic Answers. Okay, beautiful. Father Ramil, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you very much. Uh, in our last 30 seconds, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Almighty and gracious God, through the intercession of St. Ignatius of Loyola, Therese of Lisieux, and uh, Alfonso Liguori, help us always to know you, love you, and to follow you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. And I hope you can join us tomorrow as we are going to be talking about how we can raise our kids in the faith. One of the biggest requests we get for prayer here at Relevant Radio, fallen away family members, especially children, those who have fallen away from the faith. Well, how do we preemptively work against letting those kids wander away from the faith? We'll talk about that tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now here on Relevant Radio.